0: to go from Psalm 148 today, Psalm 148, Psalm 148 says, praise the Lord, excuse me, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise him in the heights, praise him all his angels, praise him all his armies, praise him sun and moon, praise him all you bright stars, praise him you highest heavens and you waters which are above the heavens, let them praise the name of the Lord because he commanded and they were created, he calls them to stand forever and ever. He gave a decree and it will not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, great sea creatures and all the depths, fire and hail, snow and fog, storm winds that obey his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, crawling creatures and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, officials and all judges on the earth, young men and also young women, old people with young people. Let them praise the name of the Lord for his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the heaven above the earth and the heavens. He has raised up a horn for his people, the praise of all his favored ones. For the children of Israel, the people close to him, praise the Lord. So no matter who you are, you were in that list. You're old, you're young, doesn't matter. We're all here to praise the Lord and that's what the Lord expects from us. That's what the Lord deserves from us. So let's do that together before we get into some worship songs. Let's pray the Lord's prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name.
1: Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens. to the sky. You are the most beautiful
2: Morning. Today, I want to start off by looking at First uh, Corinthians ten sixteen through seventeen, and it's now uh, the time of service for communion. First Corinthians ten sixteen through seventeen says, "The cup of blessing that we bless is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The, bro- the bread that we break is it not a participation in?" the body of christ i'm sorry because there is one bread we who are many are one body for all we partake of the one bread for we all partake of the one bread when we take communion we are coming together as one body united in christ communion is an essential part of any church service every christian church participates and while it looks different some do it once a month some do it bi-weekly Every communion serves as one purpose, and that is to bring us closer to Christ and to remember his sacrifice on the cross. So when we do communion, we do it as one body, in one accord, with all churches united in our mutual faith in, the, in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for bringing us here safely today. Bless this communion we're about to take. Unite us in one body under one faith, in remembrance of the sacrifice that you made for us. In Jesus' name, amen.
3: now is the time in the service for announcements um not new but we'll give you a reminder here for empty pill bottles um if you want to bring them in matthew 25 ministries accepts them for donations Um, they do lots of different things with them and i don't really need to know but it helps uh, me not to have to throw them away so bring them in and uh there's a plastic box out in the foyer for them we also accept used ink cartridges um, from your house, from your work, your friends or family. Uh, bring them in. We'll recycle them, and it helps reduce the cost for office supplies here at the church. Food pantry, closed closet every Thursday, 5 to 7. Linda testified um, kind of uh, what happened this past week, and it's just a great time to get to know people in the community. So we're not excited that they have a need, but we are excited when they, we can fulfill a need that they have. So we're excited about that. If you want to come and um, join us to see what we do, see us on Thursday. What's that? We need the help. Yeah. Um, refit, free dance fitness classes on Tuesdays and Thursdays, 630 to 730, right here in the sanctuary. It is free. Did I say free. It's free. <laughs> Mellon Ridge Nursing Home Church Ministry is the fourth Sunday of every month at 2 p.m., which is today. So after service, um, we will have lunch together in fellowship, and then we will head over to do our ministry over there. Breakfast is better when we eat together. Breakfast fellowship is the first Sunday of every month at 9.30 um, if you would like to make something um, every other month, if you want to be on a schedule, if you don't, you just feel like bringing something that day, um, please let Carol know. Empty Nesters Bible Study, um, they're going to be reading through the book, Ten Words to Live By, based on the Ten Commandments. Um, that will be resuming this week, September 1st, Thursday, 10 a.m. at Ruth Liming's home. If you have any questions at all, you can talk to Sharon Ponchot. Orders due today or you don't get a book. That's what she said. Uh, September 24th is a Saturday. We're going to have church cleanup day inside and out. Um, there's going to be lots of things to do. Don't feel like if you don't have muscles or if you have a hard time standing that you can't do something. Everybody, everybody has a place and can serve somewhere. So we don't have the time listed just yet, but it's probably going to be early. We'll start early and see how we go. But, uh, September 24th, put that on your calendar. Yes. Tithes and offerings can be given in person and given online. Um, The offering box is in the back uh, of the sanctuary underneath the clock. Weekly budgets listed here. um, What we give through Heartland, our other ministries listed there. That's all I have for you. Thank you.
0: Well, all right, let's get into the word now. So uh, today we're going to continue our series in Colossians. So let's turn together in our Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. This is Paul's letter to the saints in Colossae. We've already talked about all that. Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 15 through 18. Sorry, 13 through 18. Colossians 1, 13 through 18. And when you find that in your Bible, please stand for the reading of God's Word. The title of today's teaching is God's Supreme Son. God's Supreme Son. In Colossians 1, 13 through 18, the Scriptures say, The Father rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, things seen and unseen, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and all things hold together in Him. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that in all things he might have the highest rank. You may be seated. Now, many believe that this passage is an ancient hymn or a spiritual song that was composed by the early church to teach truths about the Lord Jesus. This is likely one of the hymns or songs that Paul has in mind in Colossians 3.16. Paul encourages the church to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. The psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs have always been a very important part of the church because these are memorable ways to pass down the faith throughout the generations. And since this is true, what God's people sing in the words in in the hymns and the spiritual songs that we sing are incredibly important. Not so much the musical style, but what we say when we sing these songs. So we should imitate the early church because they carefully composed hymns and spiritual songs that taught the truth, and especially the truth about God's Son. So as we look closely at the ancient song in Colossians 1, we're going to see that it teaches us at least three truths about God's supreme Son. And we're going to see how these things apply to us and how it should change our lives when we understand these truths. So that's what we'll talk about today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for giving us your word to teach us about your son and the most glorious life that we can all live through your son. Lord, help us to hear the truth and give us grace to walk in it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the first truth today's passage teaches us about God's supreme son is God's son is the supreme image of the invisible god. Colossians 1:14, Paul says the son is the image of the invisible god. The Greek word behind the word image is the word ikon, and it's the word it's where we get our English word icon. An icon is an image or a picture that shows something about the reality of what it represents. So what Paul's saying is the son of god is the image, the picture who shows us something about the reality Of the invisible God. The Father, whom no one has seen or can see, is made visible in the Son. Paul put it this way in Hebrews one, three, he said, The Son is the radiance of God's glory, and the exact imprint of the of the divine nature. He sustains all things by his powerful word. So God's Son is the exact imprint of the divine nature of God the Father. He's a carbon copy of the Father. The Son has the exact same divine characteristics as God the Father. So everything that the Father is in his divine nature, the Son of God is also. And this is why in John fourteen nine, Jesus says, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Now, Jesus is not saying that he is the Father, as some mistakenly read this verse. Jesus is not the Father. Believe it or not, the Father is the Father, which is why he's called the Father. And Jesus is his divine son, which is why he's called the son of God. The language in the Bible is not very confusing. It's just we, try, we confuse ourselves and we try to make it, make it mean something it doesn't mean. The father is the father. Jesus is God's son. So when Jesus says whoever has seen him has seen the father, he means he's a carbon copy, what we would call the spitting image of the father. He shows us what the father is like. So whoever sees the Son's power, the Son's goodness, the Son's mercy, the Son's love, and other divine attributes, whoever sees Jesus, sees the supreme example of the divine nature of God the Father on display in His divine Son. The Son of God God shows us what God is like. God's Son is the supreme image of the invisible God. And the Son of God made the image of God even more clear 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, God's divine Son united his divine nature to our human nature. He became flesh and dwelt among us. As John says in John 1.14, we have seen his glory, the glory he has as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And as Paul says in Philippians 2.6-8, though he was by nature God, he did not consider equality with God as a prize to be displayed, But he emptied himself by taking the nature of a servant. When he was born in human likeness, and his appearance was like that of any other man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So when the Son of God took on the nature of a servant by becoming human, he forever united the divine nature to human nature. You know, Jesus took on our humanity not to throw it away after he rose from the grave, but to take humanity with him to heaven. So the Son of God is now and forever will be the God-man, one person with two natures. There is now and forever will be a divine human being sitting at the right hand of God the Father. The living God now and forever has a human face and the human body of the Son of God. So if we want to know what God is like, people ask all the time, what is God like? Well, if we want to know that, we want to know what God looks like. Well, the answer is very simple. He looks exactly like Jesus. Because Jesus is God in human form. The Son of God is the perfect picture, the supreme image of the invisible God in human form. And as we'll see here in just a few minutes, this is God's goal for humanity. God's goal for you and God's goal for me is through our union with God's Son, God wants us all to become like the supreme image of the invisible God by becoming like Jesus. So let's look now at the second truth. Today's passage teaches us about God's supreme son. God's son is the supreme ruler over creation. So in Colossians 1.15, Paul says the son is the firstborn over all creation. And some people think that uh, Paul's talking about Jesus as a created being or something like that. That's not at all what Paul's talking about. Here Paul's talking about the ranking of God's son. So as the firstborn and only natural son of the father... The Son of God has the first position or the highest rank above all creation. He is superior to and sovereign over all creation. And in Colossians 1.16, Paul makes the Son of God's superior position above creation even clearer by showing us that the Son is also the source of all creation. Paul says, "...for in Him all things were created in heaven and on earth." Things seen and unseen, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Now, Paul's purpose for writing all this is to remind the Colossians that the Son of God is in no way inferior to the angelic powers, rulers, and authorities. See, that was part of the error that false teachers had brought into the church in Colossae. They taught that God's Son was subordinate to other beings, especially to the angels. Which these false teachers worshiped. So Paul says, Now the Son of God is in no way inferior to anyone or anything. The Son of God is superior to and sovereign over all created things because he is before all things and because he has created all things. And Paul just goes on and on all things in the heaven, all things in earth, the things we can see, the things we can't see, all thrones, all powers, all dominions, all rulers, all authorities whether angelic or human, all things were created in the Son, through the Son, and for the Son. The Son is the supreme ruler of creation because He is the source of all created things. Not only is the Son the source of all created things, the Son is also the sustainer of all created things. You know, nothing in heaven or on earth could continue to exist without the immense power of God's Son. I want you to think about this if the Lord withdrew his energy from us for just one second, we'd be no more than dust in the wind. And we wouldn't even be dust because he created the dust, so we wouldn't be anything. If he just withdraws his energy from us, then we're just nothing. See, every part of the universe is literally held together by the power of the Son of God. As Paul says in Colossians 1:17: all things hold together in him. And in Hebrews 1, 3, Paul says, the son sustains all things by his powerful word. See, every created thing in the entire universe, the sun, the moon, the stars, the earth, every creature, great and small, all things are held together and sustained by the supreme power of God's supreme son. The son of God is the supreme ruler over creation because he's the one that holds everything together. Now since the Son of God is the supreme ruler over all creation, and since all things were created through Him and for Him, and since you and I are a part of His creation, well then the Son of God must be our supreme ruler. And since God's Son created us to live for Him, well that means that your purpose for living and my purpose for living, the entire creation's purpose for being put together and held together and sustained by Jesus is to serve Jesus. If we're not serving Jesus, we are not living out our created purpose. We were created by the Son of God to have the Son of God rule our lives. And the older I get, the more I see that this statement I'm getting ready to say is true. There's no greater life than a life lived under the rule of the Son of God. Just by submitting ourselves to God's Son as our supreme ruler... That we share in the divine nature. And we're able to become the image of God like Jesus is. And Paul closes this ancient hymn by showing us where we submit ourselves to God's son as our supreme ruler. And that's the third and final truth we learn about God's supreme son. God's son is supreme ruler over the church. Now it may seem like I was rushing to get to this point, And the reason it seemed that way is because I was rushing to get to this point. Because this right here is everything. If you fell asleep during any of that stuff, wake up now. It's time to, time to pay attention because this is where it really gets good. So in Colossians 118, Paul says, God's, uh, he says of God's Son, he is also the head of the body. Now, what body is Paul talking about? Of what body is the Son of God, the head? Well, Paul goes on to tell us the body is the church. So just as God's Son is the creator, the source, the sustainer, and the supreme ruler over all creation, God's Son is also the creator, source, sustainer, and supreme ruler over His people, His body, in the church, which is the new creation. See, it's in the church that we submit ourselves to God's Son as our supreme ruler. It's in the church that we get attached to our head and become a part of the new creation. And that's what Paul has in mind in Colossians 1.18, when he says the Son is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that in all things he might have the highest rank. So what Paul's saying here is that the Son of God is the first of his kind to rise from the dead. He's the first of a new humanity that bears the unblemished image of God. So through his incarnation, his life, his death and resurrection, the Son of God began a new creation. And we become a part of that new creation by becoming a part of Christ's body in the church. It's in the church that we can be recreated and reshaped in the image of God. In Colossians 3, 9 through 10, Paul talks about this in terms of putting off the old self with its practices and putting on the new self, which is continually being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. The greatest need of our time is for God's people to understand the truth about what the church is and why the church exists. The church is not a building. The church is not a social club. The church is not part of any political party. The church is not connected to any man-made movements. The church is not exclusive to any ethnic group. And the church is not tied to any particular kingdom or country in this world. No, the church is much bigger than any of that. The church is cosmic in scale. And through the church, the supreme son of God will one day rule all things. See, the church is the body of the risen Jesus. The church is the kingdom of God's son. It's a community of reborn, recreated human beings. Human beings who are becoming like God, as we share in the life-transforming power of divine grace through our union with God's Son. You know, it's not saying too much to say that the church is everything. Everything God did in the Old Testament was leading to the church. Everything Jesus did through his incarnation, life, death, and his resurrection was leading to the church. The church is everything because in the church, we become a part of the kingdom of God. We experience the presence of God. We have fellowship with God, and we partake of God's redeeming and renovating power. In the church, we become, by grace, what the Son of God is by nature. I want you to hear this again. In the church, we become, by grace, what the Son of God is by nature. As God's divine energy works in us, we're being pulled and we're being polished. We're continually being renewed until we all reflect the image of our Creator. Until we are the perfect picture of God's Son, just as God's Son is the perfect picture of the Father. It's in the church that we experience what Paul says in Second Corinthians 3.18. We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Let me tell you something, it doesn't get any bigger or better than that. Now, what can the world offer that compares to that? What in the world can allow us to become like God and transform us into God's image? See, this is the real reason that Christ came to the earth. Everything he did from his birth to the cross to his resurrection and ascension, God's son did all those things to create a new humanity in himself and bring us back to God. So that in the church, we could become like God in true righteousness And holiness. And what this means is everything we need, everything the world needs can be found in the church because in the church we find the fullness of God in Christ. And Paul lays out the vastness of of what Jesus actually did for us so beautifully in Ephesians 1, 17 through 23. Paul says this, he says, I keep praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the glorious Father will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in knowing Christ fully. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know the hope to which He has called you, just how rich His glorious inheritance among the saints is, and just how surpassingly great His power is for us who believe. So when we know Christ, then we know that God's great power is available to us who believe. And Paul goes on in Colossians 120 through23 to tell us how great this power is and where we can find it. Paul says, It is as great as the working of his mighty strength, which God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and above every name that is given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. God also placed all things under his feet and made him head over everything For the church, the church is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Notice that the church is not some afterthought in the mind of God, not a plan B. It's not some parentheses in the middle of God's plan. No, the church is the center of everything. God the Father raised Christ far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and above every name that is given. God the Father placed all things under Christ's feet and made Christ the head over everything for a specific reason. It was for the church. Why was it for the church? Well, because God's plan for humanity will be accomplished in and through the church. God's plans for the entire universe will be accomplished in and through the church. And this is why I say the church is everything. Because it's in the church that we find the fullness of Christ. And through the church, Christ is now speaking, acting, and filling the world with His presence and redeeming humanity. In the church, the kingdom of God is present on earth. Not in its fullness right now, but it is here. The kingdom of God is here in the church. And through the church, God's Son exercises supreme rule in the world as individuals from every tribe, tongue, and nation submit to His rule. Submit to Him as their head, obey His commands, and are transformed within the church. Through the church, God's Son can and does transform countless lives. Through the church, God's Son can and does change the world as the gospel of God's kingdom is preached and obeyed. And as people truly understand and experience God's grace. But here's the challenge for us who are a part of the church We've got to stay focused on this new kingdom that we become a part of in the church. We've got to stop wasting the precious little time we have on this planet involved in worrying about and taking sides in the kingdoms and causes of this world. Jesus said his kingdom is not from here. And that means if we're a part of his kingdom, our kingdom is not from here. Our citizenship is not on the earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our kingdom is a kingdom from heaven. But so many people still try to attach Jesus and his kingdom, Jesus and his church, to their particular race, their particular nation, their particular political party or social group. People speak as if God is for this earthly nation or that earthly nation, this political party or that political party. And It usually is their particular party that God is for. That's what I just didn't find out. He's against everybody but their party, right? But listen, those who speak like this distort the gospel of Christ's kingdom and destroy the church's power to truly change the world. The church has nothing at all to do with any of the kingdoms of this world. Those kingdoms belong to the domain of darkness. And as Paul says in Colossians 1.13, the Father rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. See, when we're born again through water and the Spirit, by being baptized into Christ, we're rescued from the domain of darkness and we're transferred into the kingdom of God's Son in the church. See, the church is a new kingdom. And in the church, we become a, a part of a new humanity, a new creation a new race, and a new nation. In the church, all things become new. The old things, and that includes the kingdoms and the causes of this world, should no longer matter to us who are in Christ. Saints, we gotta get, we got to keep our focus on the kingdom of God. So we've got the only message that will truly change the world. And we can't mix that message with anything else. It has to be a pure message about a pure kingdom. And that message is this. Come into the church and be made new. Be born again through water and the Spirit. Come into the church and submit to God's Son as your supreme ruler and be recreated. Turn from the kingdom of darkness. Let go of the things of this world, that the things that, of your past that are passing away. Be transferred into the kingdom of God's Son in the church. And here you'll find true freedom from every addiction, true healing from every sin, true peace, true joy, and true hope in a kingdom that lasts forever. Come into the church and have the image of God restored in you as you're transformed by God's grace into God's image with ever-increasing glory. And that means when you come into the church, you get this glorious rebirth, and from then on out, you're just being transformed. It's just one, one... one degree of glory after another. should so be getting more glorious every day, right? But how many of us get stagnant in the church? Instead of getting more glorious for us, we're like, boy, this is, this is boring. What else do we got? Is there anything else? Well, if that's the way we see it, we're not seeing it the right way. We should all be, coming more, be becoming more and more like Jesus every single day, being transformed into God's image from one degree of glory to another. See, if we tell that message to the world, That's a message that will save the world. That's a message that will change the world. That's a message that Christ's body needs to be speaking to the world. And that's a message God's people need to show the world as we live under the rule of God's Son in the church. And I'm just going to say this, and then I'm going to close. So many people out in this world claim to be speaking for Christ, claim to be a part of Christ's body, claim to be this or that with Christ. But I'm going to tell you this. People who do not obey Jesus have no part with Jesus. People that claim to be Christian but live like the world are not Christian. We need to start saying that. It's, it's okay to say that. You say, well, you can't judge them. Of course I can. I can judge them by the Word because the Word tells us we know people by their fruit, right? So if I'm, a, if I'm a follower of Christ, if I'm a Christian, then I should have fruit in my life that shows that, correct? If I'm connected to the Son of God, it should show that in my life. So if we don't behave like Christ, then we can't claim to be Christians. And people who do that are deceiving ourselves, and we're actually making the gospel unattractive to the world. See, the true gospel tells us that we come to God to become a new creation, to become a new person, to live a different life. See, Christians aren't thieves, aren't liars, aren't aren't any of those things anymore. We were those things, but now in Christ, we're a new creation. We live holy lives. We live righteous lives. But I just had to drop that in there at the end because I hear it so, so often. People say, I don't like Christians. They act this way. They... People that act, those act like sinners, guess what they are? Sinners. Christians are supposed to act like saints. We're supposed to be different. So that's what I'm getting at at the end of this. Let's go and show the world what a Christian is supposed to look like. Let's go and show the world that Christ is someone who makes you holy, that changes your life, that you're not caught up in addictions anymore. You're a totally different person because the person you were, died with Christ, and raised, was raised with Christ to live a new life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes. Let's all stand for prayer. Father, we thank you for the t- truths we've learned today about the supremacy of your Son. Help us to grasp the in- immensity of what it means to be a part of the kingdom of your Son in the church. Help us to live every day focused on this eternal kingdom and becoming like you as we obey King Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. So I'm going to speak the Lord's blessing. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Here's my